Today's MMA Tea Company Fighter Spotlight is with Ryan Kafaro. Ryan is coming off of a decision victory at Art of War 19 on Saturday. That improved his record to, I believe, that will be 8-5 uh, and five now, Ryan. Is that correct? Yes, sir, that it is. All right, so 8-5 and five is professional, coming off of a win. You had a, a pretty long layoff between fights. So how are we feeling this week after the fight? Uh, I feel great. I'm banged up. And I couldn't be happier about it. Uh, I mean, like after the fight, I couldn't, I couldn't close my hand. It was so friggin' swollen. Uh, my left hand, I kept landing left hooks in the fight. Uh, Asan had a big Afro. So I couldn't, when he ducked his head down and started swinging, I couldn't see what the fuck I was hitting. So uh, I would just swing as hard as I could and hoped I hit something, but I probably dinged his forehead a lot. Cause like I said, I could barely make a fist, but all the swellings coming down, um, my uh my this was actually my first fight ever throwing calf kicks and they suck i do not like calf kicks um i like the fact that they do damage quickly but my shin is absolutely trashed um i don't think anything's broken but it's just so swollen going up and down stairs is a pain in the ass so i mean it's like i was victorious and i was happy about it but i mean i've never been this banged up after a fight it was it was definitely a hell of a fight and i'm glad that i got to get a full three rounds in yeah and it was i mean i think everybody was on their feet at order where i got to watch it through um picking stream because i wasn't able to be there but you you seem to be um you know you always are confident in your striking, right? But after two years, people say there's quote unquote ring rust or whatever that may be, but it didn't seem like you even skipped a beat um, from your last fight. Did you feel, you know, all your timing was there? You feel um, kind of like jumping back on the, on the bike, like you never really uh, took that two year layoff? Well, I mean, there, I, I do think ring rust can be a factor and maybe it was in terms of like my lack of uh, countering with combinations. I was throwing single shots, but they were, they were landing effectively when it would. And so I think that my counters ultimately won me the fight um, and, and some of my offense as well. And I think that maybe if I had continued fighting for the past two years, you know, maybe I would have been a little more, uh, a little more able to, to fire off rapid combinations as opposed to looking for like single punches because i was just so excited to try to like really get like a big highlight reel finish um so i i but one of the big things is i i you know i feel like everybody listens to dominic cruz when he talks about that ring rust is literally up here and i i wouldn't agree with that 100 i do think that ring rust can be a factor but i do think if you spar appropriately and you spar pretty intensely you can you can get right back in there because I mean you saw TJ Dillashaw took over a two-year layoff and he looked every bit of like he didn't miss a beat fighting Corey Sandhagen um and I I really used Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw even though he's a piece of shit as um motivation for you know having such a long layoff but such a, a good performance so I was just I just followed that mindset of like Ring rust is a state of mind and I'm choosing to ignore it and not to believe in it. And I feel like, you know, maybe it worked well in my favor. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to me like it worked and, you know, part of it always is, I, th I mean, 
part of fighting, a large part of fighting is mental, right? So even if you're sparring hard and, you know, you're doing the things that you need to do in the gym, um, it's always a little bit different making that walk, even though you've done it, you know, a ton of times now in your career. Um, what do you like, you know, backstage when you, you know, have a fight coming up? Are you laid back, relaxed? Are you joking just kind of like you are in the gym? Or are you all business and ready to go? Um, honestly, it depends on fight to fight. Uh, but this time I was sitting in the back and just listening to John Mayer's new album. It's kind of, I love that new album. It's so good. Um, so, I mean, it, it's funny cause like I'm in this position now where I've been, you know, an experienced pro for a long time. And, you know, it's my, maybe one of my, I think it's my second time being the main event for a show. The other time I main evented against Scott Heckman for Maverick MMA. And, um, it's just funny when you're sitting in the back and you're watching amateurs and they're, you know, they're sitting there like, Oh God, like, this is it. This is the big one. And I'm, I'm just sitting there relaxing, like listening to John Mayer's sob rock. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool, cool. Like you do your thing, dude. Um, and I, I like, I was definitely focused for this one, but I mean, man, having such a long layoff and I, honestly, I feel like I've, I've underperformed so badly in my past couple fights uh, I think I underperformed against Scott Heckman I think I underperformed against uh, Boy McCarmo even against Mike Lawrence when I got kicked in the head and won that fight I think I underperformed there and then when I fought Tim Dooling uh, for Ring of Combat I feel like that was probably one of the worst performances of my career um, and so I feel like I, even though I have five losses on my record I feel like I could easily be like 11 and two, as opposed to eight and five. And I just wanted to, I had so many like, like inner demons constantly in the back, just saying, you know, like my head was just going through this, this phase of like, my brain was already preparing like a, a, an Instagram loss post. Like it was like, Hey guys, sorry, I, I put in all this hard work and ring rust was up. And I was like, shut up, shut the fuck up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I just had to I had to tune that out because I was just so honestly, I wasn't even scared of like winning or losing. I was just scared of underperforming because I, I hate doing so well in the gym and then not performing when it counts. Cause I've always taken pride in and been like, Hey, I might not do that well in the gym but when the spotlight is on, I fucking perform. And I was just so like in my own head about like, why have I not been performing lately? And so um, I was really glad that I was able to go out there and, and do not everything that I do in the gym, but definitely showed a lot of more of what I'm capable of. And you said something there that I think a lot of people don't realize once a, a fighter gets a, a decent amount of experience is you're not necessarily concerned with the loss. If somebody goes out there, they perform better than you and they just beat you on that night, then they beat you on that night. But if you go out and you have a shit performance, right, then that I think hurts you mentally more, even if you get the win than a loss with a good performance would feel. And that's something that fighters, I think, um, struggle with a lot is, like you said, you dominate somebody in the gym and then you go out and it just, you know, something didn't click and that performance just wasn't there. Um, so did you do anything differently in this fight to go out there under the lights and, you know, have a good performance? Uh, I did. Um, I told myself uh, throughout, like, I've never been – like, you know, when you see guys who are on the regional scene or even just in like the pro rank, they're like, oh, I'm the best in the world, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, fucking relax, dude. Like, you're clearly like easy. Take it easy, bub. Or like, you know, 
guys that just post this like boisterous and braggadociousness and confidence about how how good they are and 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 i always have been realistic about it or i've been like dude you're like whatever on the regional circuit fucking take it easy but then this camp i really was like you know what let me let me try something new and let me positively reaffirm to myself how good i am and i told myself after every spar and i would tell myself after some hard training sessions i would start saying out loud i am the best in the world I am the best in the world at 145 pounds. I am one of the best in the world. I just kept saying, I am the best in the world. I am one of the best in the world. And I I really feel like that helped me drown out a lot of the negativity and a lot of the doubt I would have in my head. Because if I would have this thought of like, you know, oh, what if he hits me and I get knocked out or like, oh God, what if I start getting out wrestled and I just freeze or something. I would just be like, I am one of the best in the world. I am one of the best in the world. And I just kept saying it over and over until I really did believe it. And I just, that night I was like, I am the best in the world at 145 pounds. I don't have to be the best in the world year round, but tonight I'm the best in the world. And maybe I'm fucking not, I don't know. But the point is that it put me in the mindset of where I really didn't have doubt and I had a lot of self-belief and I feel like my self-belief is what allowed me to do the things that I did in the cage that night. And it's one of those things, right? Where you are the best in the world in your mind in that cage that night. And it doesn't matter if they put a sign in front of you or any other 145 pounder, you're going out there and you're going to be the best in the world on that night. And then the next day, you know, the fight's over. So you don't have to reaffirm that every single day after, you know, after that, but leading up to it, you know, nobody was beating you that night. Right. Now I can breathe. Now I can relax and be like, all right, now I got some work to do because I'm clearly not the best 45. <laughs> but but for that night, I had to believe it 100%. And I believed it 100%. So. And, you know, you, you do train with a lot of the best fighters in the world. You train with them. You coach them. Um, you know, you're a very busy person in the MMA community, right? You're traveling all over the East Coast. You're, you know, flying to Fight Island. You're doing all these different things in the last two years. Um, but I don't think a lot of people realize that while you're doing all this coaching and while you're doing all this training of other people, you're in the gym improving yourself as well every day. And you may not be posting about it like other people are, but that doesn't mean you're not doing it. Um, so one of the, the, one of the niches that I've, I've carved for myself in the pandemic is that I've become like essentially a Swiss army knife coach. Like I can do everything. I can hold pads for boxing. I can hold pads for Muay Thai. I can hold MMA style pads. I can wrestle. I can grapple. I can do, you know, straight jujitsu. I can help cut weight. I can help keep you in shape. We can work out within the gym, lift weights, all that shit. So I can do all of it. And in order for me to stay sharp, I have to stay sharp with the athletes that I'm training. So a lot of the times, not only am I a coach, but I'm normally one of the head sparring partners because I'm also pretty good at imitating fighters. So like, for example, um, whenever Sajara has a fight coming up, like I'm, I'm normally one of her main sparring partners because I also have, uh, I've, I've developed a really good ability to kind of pull my, uh, my strength and my size out of the equation to make it a little more realistic, especially for smaller sparring partners. Um, but then some of these, some of the sparring partners I work with are literally the best in the world where I have to just be on, or it's not even worth uh, their while to spar me. Like you're like my main, two of my main sparring partners for this camp were Tiger Mag- uh, Mago Madoff. 
yeah, Magomed Magomedov from Bellator, who's 18 and one, his only loss is to Piotr Jan. He's the only person to beat Piotr Jan. So that was one of my main sparring partners. And I had to learn to spar him from Southpaw. So now I can fight Southpaw. And then my other sparring partner was Zabit's brother, uh, Hassan Magomed Sharapov. So I'm on a regular basis, I'm sparring two of the most dangerous, most dominant Dagestan fighters. And in order for me to continue to get rounds with them, I have to show that I'm competitive. So in order for me to do that, I have to stay sharp. So I constantly am training and I'm constantly getting better, even though I am helping these guys by holding pads and coaching and stuff. But I, I just, I don't have time to, to just do one. I have to be able to do both. And that's what makes uh, my position so interesting in the sense that I am an, a full-time active coach, but I'm a full-time active fighter and they're bouncing back and forth between uh, and allowing me to do both effectively. <clears throat> And the, the coaching is interesting to me. When I started coaching jujitsu, I started thinking about jujitsu in a totally different way because doing something is one thing, but then showing someone who has a different way of thinking about things and getting them to accomplish that same goal is a whole different way of thinking about anything from a sweep to a jab to a leg kick. How was that transition for you? Um, you know, mentally of being able to then explain things four or five or six different ways. Did that help you as a fighter as well? Um, I would say so, because they say, if you can teach something, you can do it. Um, and I have been an instructor. I may not have been a world-class UFC coach for long, but I have been an instructor for a very, very long time. I started coaching and teaching classes at the same time that I made my amateur debut in 2009. So I have over a decade of experience coaching and cornering. I've been cornering people since my amateur debut in 2009. So I've definitely racked up over a hundred fights for sure in terms of cornering experience. And I mean, it definitely shows when, you know, when I go on the big stage and I'm cornering, the, you know, on Fight Island by myself and stuff like that. And I'm giving concise, uh, appropriate uh, advice to, to a fighter. Um, and I, I definitely think that being a good coach can help translate positively and negatively to yourself as a fighter, positively in the sense that like you, you hold yourself to such a high standard because you coach everyone. So you want everything to be right. So when I do things myself, I have to make sure that it's something that I would be willing to say, Hey, this is how you do it correctly because I, I do it appropriately and I teach it appropriately. But on the other hand, I also feel like it can be negative in the sense that sometimes when you're your own coach or sometimes when you have so much knowledge, it can be like um, too much, too many options can cause inaction. Like sometimes like Eddie, Eddie Alvarez told me, he's like, yo, like dumb it down this fight. Like don't, don't over try to do too many techniques. He was like, just focus on what you know and what works well. And I, I you know, I feel like I have such a wide arsenal of things that I can do in terms of punching, kicking, kneeing, elbowing. And then I stuck to about four or five techniques that I knew worked really well in this fight. I stuck to the left hook. I stuck to the switch kick. Uh, I stuck to the low kick and I stuck to the left knee and then an elbow here and there. But I, I, I worked with a small group of techniques that I knew were successful for me in the gym and I applied them to the fight and I didn't do I was, you know, practicing spinning this and spinning that. And I did no such thing in the fight because, um, and it paid off. 
and as as a fighter is is that one of those things where you want to be able to have it in your arsenal if it if the opportunity arises but it's not something that you want to force and you have to go between that uh that mental um you know that mental balance of you stuck to those four things but you could have thrown a spin kick or or a spinning back fist but the opportunity just wasn't there so you're not going to force one of those things right um i definitely think that there were i i've forced i've attempted to force things in previous fights and it's cost me in fights like uh i, f- I felt like if i had stuck to a similar style game plan to what i did today when i fought scott heckman for example i feel like i may have been more successful but I became overzealous in that fight, throwing, you know, flying knee this, spinning back fist that, and just, you know, really aiming for like a one-shot highlight reel knockout. Because at that point in my career, you know, I was six and two, and I was reading all these articles from, you know, like my MMA news about how, you know, the winner of this fight could easily get a shot on the contender series. You know, I was that close to being in the UFC, and I, I really felt at the time I was UFC caliber. And, um, that, you know, it, it just, it just showed that, you know, a loss to such an experienced and tough veteran like Scott Heckman that, you know, I really wasn't ready for the big stage. And then unfortunately for me, you know, that the, the mentality sort of forced me to quicksand where I just lost fight after fight after fight in fights that I really don't think I should have lost. Not in the sense that they were robberies, but more in the sense of my underperformance. So I, I definitely feel like it was uh, a good, this fight in particular would allowed me to really stay focused and get back to what I do best, which is win fights with smart fundamentals. I did some dumb shit though. I put my hands down and, you know, every, my coaches were like, put your fucking hands up. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, I, I put my hands down in the gym sometimes, you know? Yeah. And it, you mentioned, you know, getting to that big stage in the Heckman fight, you might've been one fight away from that contender series or, or a short notice call up, something along those lines. Um, now it's a couple of fights later. Uh, you've been around that big stage. You've been in the back. You've been around these 145ers that are, um, you know, right around the same record that you have or the same number of fights. I uh, wanted to talk to you about your plans for the future, right? Because you're coming off of a win. You're feeling very confident, um, but you're also building this coaching repertoire of, something that you could just coach um you know four five six years down the road full-time coach so do you think about that like do i want to fight and coach for x amount of years do i want to go strictly into fighting what where's your head at in, in terms of like those two coming together or is one more dominant than the other uh i'm 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 sort of uh, honestly i'm inspired by uh, the most by james kraus i want to i want to do it all like James Krause is in there coaching every single week. And then he's also fighting still. So I just feel like what would really separate me from the pack is, is to do something like that where I'm able to coach at the highest level and also able to compete at the highest level simultaneously. I think that's a really, really cool thing. And I think it's something that lets me stand out uh, amongst all the other fighters and all the other coaches. And um I feel like it, it's hard for me to say no to one or the other because both are extremely beneficial in, in my uh, opinion, because I can't take too much of a break and get sloppy or get lazy as a fighter because I have to be back in the gym helping and I have to be back in the gym coaching. And then, you know, vice versa, you know, I, if I'm done coaching, then I can't stay out of the gym long because I'm always preparing for a fight. It's, it's funny because I kept 
telling myself in, in the back about, you know, oh, I had such a good camp. I had this camp. And then I like kind of came to the conclusion. I was like, this wasn't a camp. I've always trained. Like the difference was like, I stopped eating like pasta and sugar for like eight weeks. And aside from that, I didn't really change anything. I just continued doing the stuff I always do, maybe with a little more purpose and a little more mental clarity and focus. But I mean, you and I trained together in the pandemic a little bit. I mean, like you saw, I was, I was always in shape and always ready to, to get after it and was always training as if I had something coming up, even though I did. So I, like I said, I do this year round and I'm, I mean it. I think that that is a, that mentality, I think separates a lot of, I don't even want to say casuals because they do compete and they do fight, but I, you've trained with them. I've trained with them. So many people who literally they're in the gym for camp. And then you might see them one or two days a week, but then when eight weeks from a fight comes up, then that's when they show up and that's when they're in five, six, seven days a week and doing two days and whatever that is. And then there's people like you, right. Who you just train all year round. And I think that's a growing mentality of this is a full-time 365 sport. There is no on season off season, right? It's just, you train all the time and you have to be ready at all times. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's fights year round. There's fights. uh, There's a fight. uh, Our war is doing one coming up on October 30th on Halloween. So, I mean, there's just, and I mean, there's, there's fights all over the world and with, you know, the right connections, you can fight once a month for 12 months every year. Um, Assuming, you know, you never got hit and blah, blah, blah. But um, if you're the best fighter in the absolute world. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But I just kept saying to myself in the back, like, you know, like you, you can't take an eight week camp with me and expect to beat me. You need an 80 week camp because I'm, I'm, that's how long I've been training since my last fight, essentially. Like I, I haven't fought in over a year and a half at this point because my last fight was, I think November or October, I think November of 2019. So it's been a long time and uh, I haven't really stopped training since. I mean, like I lost that fight on like a Saturday and I was taking jujitsu on Monday. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, yeah, I, I just, I feel like my, my consistency and my persistence is what's going to allow me to ultimately get back to my, like my hot streak winning ways where, you know, I was beating guys that were, you know, two and oh, three and oh, and then 15 and four. And, you know, where I was just on that streak of just beating tougher and tougher opposition going after bigger and bigger fish. And I just think I'll just go back to doing that again. And then, um, I think I have the the right connections and the right level of excitement to how I fight that I, I could easily get a call up to the UFC or a contender series. So, I mean, contender series comes back in the fall. I'll be more than ready and maybe I'll pick, I'll try to get one more fight and be prepared for if somebody pulls out. All right. So you just answered the last question I had for you, which is, I know you're super busy and uh, I know you're coaching. I know you're fighting. I know you're training all the time. Um, what's the next couple of months look like for you? Do you got a coaching schedule where you're going to be in people's corners? Are you just, uh, hanging around the East coast and training with people and holding mitts or what's it look like over the next couple of months? So for, for once I have nothing coming up (laughs) sort of weird. I was like, all right, well, no one has a fight coming up. Um, and it was funny too, because I had planned for this fight camp. I planned it perfectly where. Uh, my last person I was going to corner was Sajar Eubanks like six weeks before I fought. And I was like, all right, this is perfect. And then I have six weeks to focus on myself. I don't have to focus on anything. Just me, 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 me. And then her fight got canceled and then pushed back six weeks to the, the week before my fight. So I was like, oh shit. So then 
you know, and I've always had, you know, people be like, Hey, you can't go corner people. You can't go coach people. You have to focus on yourself and fight camp. And I was like, I know, but real quick, let me just focus. Let me just do this one real quick because uh, me and Sajara, we've, we've got such a great fighter coach relationship. And uh, she actually cornered me for this last fight. So it was great. A week before my fight, I flew out to Vegas and cornered her. And then she flew right back and cornered me. So um, <clears throat> it was, it was really cool. And she, uh, she went in her entire camp, I'm cornering her during her rounds. And then as soon as she's done, I'm gearing up. And then she's like taking a breather and then like, Oh shit. And then she's cornering me. So I, I can't thank Sajara Eubanks enough for, for helping me out and, um, and reciprocating and returning the favor in terms of the coaching, because having somebody there who watches all my spars day in and day out really makes a world of difference when you're coaching and when you're fighting. Yeah. It's always nice to have that person. And, to also keep it real with you, right? Not just to say every day, Ryan, oh, you did so great today, but actually say like, Ryan, this was shit, that was shit, this is what we need to work on, right? If you can find that person, then I think that's also very important, that coach relationship where they don't just always say everything's great, right? That also helps. Yeah, it was, it was funny. In the middle of the pandemic, I, I rolled with Sarge um, when we were in Vegas at the performances to getting ready for a fight. Uh, for one of her fights like on fight week or something and then she was watching me grapple and she was like you're not you're not good at jujitsu you're not doing anything but i was like me i was like i thought she's like no you're just spazzing she's like you're scrambling and you're spazzing you're not actually doing any jujitsu you need to work on your actual jujitsu and i was like oh shit i was like well i mean i'm not going to argue with a seven-time jujitsu world champion so then i started actually really training my jujitsu uh, and really immersed myself under uh, Ricardo Almeida's tutelage because she trains there as well. So, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're grappling, and then I hit her with a burn bolo, and she's like, "Look at you!" She's like doing jujitsu. I was like, "All right, right, I'm doing some jujitsu." So, I, I it's it's a shame I didn't get to show it in this fight because Asan was so fucking hard to take down. I couldn't get him to the ground, but I improved my jujitsu in leaps and bounds, uh, working with Ricardo Almeida, Sajar Eubanks, and then Will Wolk who are some of the top level grapplers I've worked with. Um, and then Mark Gray for my wrestling, you know, one of the most accomplished high school college wrestlers of all time. So I, I definitely have the right team around me to really improve my, my skill set all around. And I, I feel like for the first time in a long time, I have the right team and the right environment around me where I can really let loose my full arsenal of techniques and uh, next fight's only going to be even better. Awesome, man. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully you get a little chance to uh, relax here in the next couple of weeks because uh, you have nothing that's scheduled, but I'm sure something could pop up and then you'll be on a plane at you yeah, know, any given definitely. time. Some, something will pop up. It always does. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like the movies where I'm like, it's quiet, too quiet. <laughs> so. Hopefully you get a little bit of time to relax. Uh, pleasure talking with you today. Uh, good luck, um, you know, in everything that you're doing. Uh, congrats on the win and looking forward to seeing the cage again soon. Absolutely. And then uh, thank you for having me. And uh, if you guys want to buy a cool t-shirt, you should go to my MMA Tico and get one of my cool walkout shirts. Awesome. Thanks for the plug. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one, guys. Right. Thank you. See you.